Praise the Lord. God is awesome. Real quickly, let me just go through. I've been talking about the love of God. And so we started talking about how important God's love is. Not only God loving us, but God's love operating in us with other people. And this, there's many scriptures we use, but the scripture says that love is the bond of perfectness. It's what holds everything else together in the Christian life. And so we emphasized how important it is to be walking in love. We talked about that you can't give away what you don't have. And so you, first of all, have to have an experiential uh, revelation of God's love. Not just knowing that He loves you, but experiencing it. You can't give away what you don't have. Then last night I started talking about that if you do have problems, which you do if you're living in a world with people who are corrupted, even sometimes it's not intentional, just natural, carnal people do things wrong and things are going to rub you the wrong way. And so you're going to have problems arise. And so how do you deal with these problems with people? And last night I I mentioned that there are four possibilities when you ever have a problem with somebody. And the only one that we really got to last night was that the first thing you ought to consider when there is a relational problem is you got to diagnose what the cause of it is. And the first thing you should look at is, is it me? We use Matthew chapter 7 about don't try and cast the speck out of a person's eye until you get this huge beam out of your own eye. And we spent all night long talking about that. And I emphasize some things that most people don't think about. Uh, Things that, and and one of the things I was talking about, sometimes it's obvious that, you know, it's possible that you just did something to offend the person. You might have done it maliciously. You could have done it unintentionally, but we also spent a lot of time talking about that you can take an offense when none offense is intended. And I spent a lot of time talking about that, and and that's really what uh, Matthew chapter 7 is talking about when it says, judge not that you be not judged. It doesn't mean that you don't have an opinion. It's just that you can say that what you did, what this person did, bothered me, or it hurt me, or it's not what I want. There's nothing wrong with you saying that, but you get into judgment when you start figuring out why they did what they did. Outside of a word from God, you don't know why people did what they did. And yet, we are quick to make judgments, and they're usually biased and wrong, and they get you into trouble. You know, I don't know that anybody's done this today, but I'm just saying that I know people, and this would be some the kind of thing that some people could do. You know, Wendell today spoke today and Linda wasn't here. Linda was here yesterday. She was listening and she's been a part of these meetings. Today she's not here. It would be just like somebody to say, I wonder why Wendell's wife didn't show up. She didn't even come hear him speak. And from that you get to speculate. And I wonder if they're having problems. I wonder if she really loves the Lord. And you get to judging why she's not here. Do you know what's really going on? Today is their son Dean's birthday. And so she's with their son celebrating their birthday. And actually, instead of this being some lack of commitment on her part, it's actually a godly thing. And when I found that out, I thought, Wendell, you could have taken off. We could have scheduled something different. And he said, no, I wanted to be here and be a part of this. And he's actually honoring the Lord and stuff. And Linda is ministering to their son. You know what? Somebody could have come to a totally wrong assessment of things, looked based on something that happened, and yet you judge why it happened. You know what? You have no business judging why people do what they do. You can say, I don't like what they do. What they did doesn't make sense to me. But unless you get a word from God, you don't know what's going on. 
you know, I had a situation where I uh, pastored a church in Pritchett, Colorado. And anyway, I left there and I started doing six Bible studies a week. We had as many as 70 to 80 people in each one of these Bible studies. And I did a circuit throughout three uh, uh, states doing these Bible studies. And we saw a guy get healed that had terminal cancer. And he got miraculously healed. Went back to Mayo Clinic. They pronounced him totally healed of cancer. And it was great. And so he traveled with me to all of these Bible studies. He got on my radio program and made programs and, and went, traveled with me to some of our meetings and gave testimonies. And I mean, just was a powerful testimony. This guy was an evangelist. He saw, I couldn't even tell you, but I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't hundreds of people saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was very outspoken. But then he, uh, it's a long story, but he went on a 40-day fast. Actually, a 47-day fast. He ate nothing, just drank water. And he was so zealous. He was so excited. He was only like 18, 19 years old. I don't remember exactly. But a young guy, he was so zealous. Everything in his life was so miraculous that he broke his fast by eating steak and french fries. And it killed him. He died. And he died an agonizing death. And during this period of time, after these things happened, uh, he lived for, I can't remember what time, I remember I took him to a Kenneth Hagin meeting, and uh, we did some other things, but he was in bad shape, the guy wound up dying, and he told everybody in every one of these Bible studies that if anything happens to me, Andrew's going to raise me from the dead. We had seen a guy raised from the dead in Pritchett, Colorado, and so he just says, if anything happens to me, Andrew will raise me from the dead. Well, God didn't tell me that, and... I don't know that God told him that, but he told everybody that. So when he died, all of my Bible studies, uh, there was two people that had visions of me walking into the funeral and this guy being raised from the dead. And they had over 400 people that had been through my Bible studies that came to this guy's funeral. And they were all there to see me raise this guy from the dead. And I didn't come to the funeral. And you know what? Five of those six Bible studies got so mad at me that they canceled the Bible studies. They told me, they just called and left a message, don't bother coming. They couldn't believe that I didn't show up. The family got mad at me and hated me for years because I didn't come to this funeral. And I was the most important guy in this uh, young boy's life. And they were just devastated that I didn't show up at the funeral. And you know what? People just judged me and what they didn't know was that the grandmother, who was a practicing witch, hated me and had heard these stories about how I was going to raise this boy from the dead, and she had me kidnapped. And I was on my way to the funeral, and they kidnapped me. And I wasn't able to go. And so that's the reason I didn't show up. People saw that I wasn't at the funeral, but they jumped to conclusions as to why I wasn't at the funeral. And I had hundreds of people turn against me, and we left southeastern Colorado down there basically in a scandal, people thinking terrible and people that I'd been ministering to just shut me off. And what was I going to do? Come out and tell what happened and embarrass the family when their son had died and tell them that the grandmother had me kidnapped and embarrass the family and add to their grief? You know, I decided it'd be better for me to suffer than for them to suffer. And I just didn't tell anybody and we just had to move on and go on. You know what? People are quick to judge why things happen and it may have been that they, they were correct in saying I should have been there. I wanted to be there. But you know what? They don't know why I wasn't there. And yet people do this all the time. And you take offense when none was intended. 
Man, that's, that's pretty powerful. And I bet you that every person in here has done this and has been quick to judge. You might discern that something wasn't done correctly, but you don't know why people do what they do. You don't know what's going on on the inside of people. So anyway, we talked about all that last night. And then this morning I talked about that there's three other options. It could be that the person is actually wrong and that you had nothing to do with it. Some people come under condemnation thinking if I was just the person I should be that everybody should love me. And man, I spent quite a bit of time talking about beware when all men love you and speak well of you. If you aren't uh, offending somebody, then you aren't living a godly life. That's what the scripture says. All those who live godly will suffer persecution. So we talked about that it could be the other person and you have to be mature enough and sensitive enough to the Lord to be able to evaluate. Are you the problem or are they the problem? Or, here's a third option, are both of you the problem? Did both of you mess up? And that's usually more often than not what's happened. Usually it's a shared responsibility. And then the fourth thing that we talked about this morning is that it could be God that is causing this separation. Not directly in the sense that God doesn't want people to be uh, at odds with each other, but there are times that God wants to end relationships. It's not a godly relationship, such as people wanting to marry, and it's outside of the Scripture, and it's not the right one, and God may be doing everything He can to stop this relationship, and here you are trying to make it work, and it's not going to work. So you have to consider that maybe God doesn't want this relationship to prosper. That is an option. So it'll always be one of those four things. Either it's you, because you perceived an offense when none was intended, or maybe you did something that caused the whole situation. It's the other person, or it's a combination of the two, or it could be God that is not wanting this relationship to work. And you have to be able to discern what the situation is, what's causing it, before you can give the right cure to it. So what I want to do tonight is... All right, so you've got this problem and you've evaluated what the problem is. How do you fix it? Well, the the fix for it, the way you deal with this strife is dependent upon what the uh, diagnosis is, what the cause is. So let's take them, let's go through all four of these things again. If you are the problem and if you have prayed about it and if you know that you are the problem, there's a couple of things here. If you caused something, if you did this, if it wasn't an offense that you took, But if you actually did something and wronged this person and you're the problem, then you have to do some things to fix that problem. I'd say the very first thing to do is to repent before God because if you've offended one of these little ones, then you've offended him. And there's scriptures that talk about that. For instance, when uh, the Apostle Paul, when he was still Saul on the road to Damascus and he was going there to persecute Christians, the Lord appeared unto him in a vision and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me? Man, when somebody touches you, they've touched God. And vice versa, when you have hurt another person, you've hurt the Lord. It's an offense against God. And so the very first thing you need to do is you need to repent before the Lord and change your attitude and change this heart problem that caused you to hurt another person. And until you deal with your personal relationship with God, you really aren't qualified to go and ask forgiveness or do anything with another person. So the very first thing that I think has to happen is you need to, in your heart, repent of that situation and do something to change the problem that caused it. 
Now, if it was one of those things that we were talking about last night where you just took an offense, well, then you know what you need to do? You need to go to God and deal with those hurts and pains and insecurities that made you take an offense when none was attended, and you need to get that right before you do anything else to apologize to anybody else. You need to deal with the problem. If you're the problem, fix you. Amen? That's really simple, but you'd be surprised how many people skip that step and they just want to go and try and make everything right. And you know what? It, it's not going to be that simple. I'm going to say some other things about trust here in just a minute. But you, uh, after you repent and after you ask forgiveness, you're going to have to earn people's trust. And if you haven't truly fixed the problem on the inside, people aren't going to trust you and they shouldn't trust you. Amen. So it starts with, if you recognize you're the problem, deal with the things in your heart that caused you to make this problem in the first place. And that's the very first step. But then if you affected another person through this, like say, for instance, you've talked about somebody and you said things about them that you shouldn't have said. You know what? You need to right that situation as much as you can. The scripture says that if you uh, bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has ought against you, leave your gift at the altar and go reconcile unto your brother. You need to humble yourself and reconcile to that person. And a scripture I've already used in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says, as much as lies within you, if it be possible, live peaceably with all men. And so you need to try and reconcile. But let me give you a... This is what I consider to be a great piece of advice here. Man, I learned this the hard way. But this is a great piece of advice. If you've wronged somebody, if you've said something about them, if you've criticized them, if you've done something, you need to analyze... Uh, first of all, whether this is just something that you've done on the inside of yourself, if you've taken an offense and if you've done something, or maybe you talked about them and you said something, but it's to a person on the opposite side of the world, it's never going to come back to the person that you wronged and spoke about. If you have just done this in yourself, but you haven't verbalized it in a way that it's caused that person any grief, you know what you need to do? You need to go to God and repent and then bury the thing and not mention it to the person that you've offended. Now see, most people say, oh no, I've wronged this person. I've got to go tell them. I've had this happen to me. I've had people come up to me. This has not been once or twice or a dozen times. I've had this happen dozens of times. That somebody comes up, Oh, I'm so convicted. I've been talking about you. I've said you were of the devil. I hated you. I criticized you. And they just dump all of their junk, all of this rubbish on the inside of me. And they said, would you please forgive me? And I say, oh yeah, I forgive you. And they leave. And now I've got to deal with all of this junk. You know what? If I didn't know about it, if you didn't physically hurt me, then you just repent of it and bury that trash and, and uh, put it underground and, and let it go. But don't come and now make me have to deal with all of the things. And now I'm thinking about, why did that person say that about me? How dare them do it? And now i got to deal with these emotions. I've seen this in services. I don't know if you've ever been in a service where, I mean, the love of God just broke out and people all of a sudden got convicted and they started to repenting. I remember that uh, we, Jamie and I were in this choir group. This is back when we were teenagers and we took a trip through 
all of the Northwest, and we raised all of the money and went and sang and ministered every night. And I mean, we saw pastors of churches born again. Everywhere we went, revival broke out. People were getting saved by the hundreds, dozens. Things were happening. And it was not unusual to have people just start weeping. And especially these young people, these teenagers, they'd all start repenting, oh, I'm so sorry. And they would come up and they'd just start saying, I've hated you and I've criticized this. And they'd start saying this. And I didn't know that they disliked me until they started telling me all of this stuff. And that's an immature response. Your heart may be right that you have wronged this person and you want to set it right and you want to tell them that I'm sorry. But if you haven't physically or emotionally done them any damage, then just repent of it, get rid of it, and don't do it anymore. But don't make that other person now suffer with all of the junk that you've said about them. And you know, this applies to marriage too. Sometimes we, in an effort to... We're just going to be so honest. We're going to share everything. You can wind up being an instrument of the devil. You know, I learned this with Jamie because when Jamie and I got married, I mean, we just... We share everything. There's no secrets. If somebody comes to me and says, now you can't tell anybody, I'll tell them first thing. I said, well, I'm going to tell Jamie. I said, and if you aren't willing to have Jamie know what you're telling me, then you don't need to be telling me because we just basically don't keep any secrets from each other. But you know, when I first started pastoring little churches, people would come up and criticize me and I could deal with that, but they'd criticize Jamie. They'd criticize us over the way we treated our kids, over the way we did this. And in an effort to be just you know, one with my wife and share everything, I'd come home and if somebody dumped on her and told her, I said, oh, did you know what this person said about you? And I'd tell her. And then Jamie would have to deal with this criticism. And it didn't take long for my lightning fast mind to figure out that I was actually an instrument of the devil repeating these negative reports. And the Lord just told me, he says, you aren't protecting your wife. You aren't honoring her and dealing with her the way that Jesus dealt with us. And if you recognize that something's wrong and detrimental, and if this person hasn't said it, well, then you just bury it. Don't repeat those things. And you know, there's things that happen now that I don't tell Jamie if I don't think it's unto edification, if it's not good report. We don't talk about all that stuff. So you can make mistakes on this. You can have a good heart and say, I just want to be open and honest and want to get everything out in the open. But if you haven't done any damage to the other person, if all the damage is internal because of the way you've been thinking, then bury it and get over it and don't infect somebody else with your sickness. That's a good piece of advice. Amen? But what happens if you have hurt them? Well, you have to go to God and get it repented of, but then there are scriptural guidelines about how to reconcile with this brother. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 18 and look at some of these. In Matthew chapter 18, in verse 15, it says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault. Excuse me, you know what? I'm, I'm already into the second part of this. I was talking about if you're wrong, you repent, go to God. And if you're wrong, you go talk to that person. But now we're talking about if the other person is the problem. Let me, let me just say this. I didn't say this correctly. So you repent between you and the Lord. If it's something that you've done to hurt the other person, then you go humble yourself. And uh, this would really, really really make a difference in, in breaking this cycle of problems with people if we were to follow these guidelines. 
If we were to humble ourselves and go make sure our brother and ask their forgiveness, did you know it'll go a long ways. If you, if you just go and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That's hard on your flesh. I don't think there's a single person breathing that likes to humble themselves and say, I'm wrong. It just isn't human nature. And if you would follow what the Scripture says and humble yourself and repent before that person, you know what? Then the next time you're going to think twice before you shoot off your lip and go to criticizing somebody and saying these things. But lots of times when we do something wrong and we offend people, we just kind of, well, you know, you let it go and think that time will heal things. That's really not true. Things tend to fester over a period of time. So you need to go and humble yourself. And if you would really do that and truly humble yourself before the other person and just say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. You know what, that is so hard on your flesh that it'll make you think the next time before you go out and do something like this. People who just make a habit of offending people, it's because they don't repent when they see the damage that it's done. So you need to humble yourself. But if the other person is the problem. How do you deal with that if the other person's a problem? And that's what here is being given instructions in Matthew chapter 18. In verse 15 he says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now there's four steps in these instructions that Jesus is giving. The very first thing is... now. Man, you need to listen to this. This right here, if we would follow these instructions, if we would do what the Word says, this would solve 90% of all problems. It would never fester and grow to the place that it does in most cases. If somebody has wronged you, you go to them privately, you and them by yourself, and try and reconcile this thing. And every one of these steps, it isn't so that you can go vent on them and tell them how angry you are. That is never the case. If you are so angry, you ought to go before God first and get all of this out and get over the emotion of it so that you could go and talk to a person and honestly try and reconcile. You don't, none of these instructions, there's going to be some here that may, could be interpreted as punitive, but they aren't. They're all for the purpose of correction, for reconciliation. This is talking about if something has happened that has offended you, go to that person privately and talk to them. And I could say it this way. Go to them and talk about this before you go to anybody else and talk about that. This is a scriptural order of things. You, If somebody has done something to bother you, don't talk to anybody else about it. Go talk to that person. Quiet in this Presbyterian church. You know what? This is not the way most of us do it. You know what the average thing that happens is? Somebody gets hurt, and so you go to tell somebody else, and you tell them how what they've done, hoping that you will get a confirmation of your judgment that you've already passed, and you want them to agree with you. In churches, man, I see Pastor Greg and Janice Moore here, and of course Lawson, there's others here that are pastors. I guarantee you, pastors see this all of the time. Somebody gets disgruntled with the church, and you know the first thing they do is go talk to somebody else. Have you noticed what Pastor Greg's doing? Have you noticed what he's been preaching lately? Have you been fed? Are you really getting everything that you need? And you know what? Instead of going and talking to the pastor and telling them what your concerns are, you go around and you start taking this offense 
and drawing it out of other people. You know, we see this in our Bible college. I talked to a guy last uh, May, and he came to the school, and I like this guy. I really have good feelings about him, but he's just coming out of so much bondage. He's got so much baggage with him that he had some problems with our Bible school. And he dumped on me and just started telling me all of these problems and saying, there's nothing good going on in this Bible school. There's terrible things happening here. And I said, now wait a minute. Can you tell me that there isn't a single person in this Bible school who truly loves God and is serving God? I can't think of a one. (laughs) You know what? That told me all I needed to know right there because we got some wonderful people in this Bible school. Now, do we have everybody here that's perfect? Are you going to find every person here that does everything right? No. And you know what, it's, I hate to make this comparison, but it's absolutely true. It's just like flies are attracted to certain smells and odors and things that give off that odor. Hopefully you know what I'm talking about without me being more graphic. You know what, there are some people that just feed on strife and feed on problems and they, they look, they come looking for things. There's probably somebody here who came looking to see if I'm going to say something wrong. Well, I've got something for you. Amen. I'll, I'll probably say something wrong. I won't do everything right. And if you come here looking for problems, you'll find something. And you know what? You could sit there and then go around and just start throwing out these little criticisms. Does anybody else feel this way? And you can actually aggravate and draw criticism. People just love to gripe. People love to be murmurers. I mean, you can look at the children of Israel came out of Egypt. Man, they murmured. They loved to do it. If you are a person who is looking for problems and then when you find something and you get offended, you go around and you start speaking this, it's like the Scripture says, it's like a canker. Their word will eat as doth a canker. That's talking about a cancer. It's going to spread like a cancer. You can't do that kind of stuff. This causes a lot of problems in the body of Christ. In any place that you've got two people together, whether it's a marriage or if you go into a Bible study or if you go into a church, if you go into a larger group, it doesn't matter what size group it is. If you've got more than two people, if you are going to be looking for things and if you find something and then you start talking about it, you're, you're the person that the Scripture says God hates people that spread discord among the brethren. I tell you, words are powerful forces. They have death and life in them, and the sad fact is that most of us use our words negatively to criticize. You know what would stop a lot of this? Is anytime somebody offends you, go talk to them before you mention it to another living human being. Now, you know that would do a number of things. When you go and humble yourself and talk to a person, and there's confrontation and potential anger... And rejection involved. Did you know most people just do not like confrontation? I'm a person that does not like confrontation. But I've learned over a period of time that confrontation is better than just avoiding a situation. And so I've forced myself. Now I can confront people if I have to. But I I don't like it. I don't think anybody just likes. If you like confrontation, I think something's wrong with you. (laughs) God didn't make us for this. It's not normal. It's a result of the fall. So anyway, there is a natural resistance against confrontation and against strife and against things like this. And so if you just made a determination that before I mention anything to anybody else, I'm going to go to the person who's offended me and I'm going to approach them and talk to them. That would make you so hesitant 
you wouldn't want to do this. That you know what? If it was a small thing, that really it was you that just had a bad day. It was you that had a chip on your shoulder. You know what? If it was something insignificant and it really wasn't that big, I guarantee you, you're going to say, I think rather than go talk to them, I'll just get over this. It's not that big of a deal. Maybe they didn't mean anything. You know what? You'd get rid of a lot of the problems right there because it's not that big of a deal. People get upset over the most insignificant things. Like I said, I've actually heard pastors before that people got mad and left their church because they didn't talk to them. And so they go say, hey, you know, have you noticed that the pastor doesn't, didn't say hi to me? And they go to talking and then somebody else. And they, they get this thing magnified and amplified and it becomes a problem. If you would just say, you know what, if the pastor didn't talk to me, I'm going to walk up to him and say, how come you didn't say hi? That bothered me. And maybe he'll tell you, oh, I'm so sorry. I had somebody just called me and they died and I was thinking about this and I didn't even see. I'm sorry. You know, that would solve the whole problem right there. But that's not the way that most people approach it. They're going to mull it over in their mind, talk about it to other people, and then somebody else is going to say, yeah, I I think that the pastor, something's wrong with him. You know, there's been a rash of homosexuality among some ministers. I think that the guy's probably a homo. And that's how things get started. That's how... That's how rumors get started. That's how you start judging and trying to figure out why they've done what they've done. And before you know it, this guy is in terrible shape and maybe he just honestly had something on his mind but you. And it was insignificant. If you would just go talk to the person who wronged you first and seek to reconcile, I believe in 90% of the cases that would solve it. Either you took an offense that wasn't attended, and if you would go and talk to them and say, say something to them, you know what they'd say? Oh, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. That wasn't it at all, and you'd solve the problem. Or by confronting it, you know what, this person would recognize, you know what, I am wrong, I'm sorry. And you would just deal with things when they're small and insignificant, and you would stop the majority of the problems right there. You know, Wayne Nur down here is the dean of our students. And Wayne, since he's taken over that job, we had another guy doing it before who was a wonderful guy. He'd been in ministry for 47 years and he just loved people and everybody loved him. But you know what? He, he wasn't as confrontive as Wayne is. Since Wayne has taken over the dean of the students, prior to him taking over, we had to kick somebody out of the school every year for adultery. Bible college students. You hate to think that, but you know what? It happens. And we would reprove them and give them an opportunity to repent and put them on probation and they'd go do it again. And I mean, every year we kick somebody out of the school for adultery. When Wayne came on the scene, you know, we've come close. Have we kicked somebody out? We hadn't kicked anybody out, have we? Oh, I, oh I'm sorry. But anyway. But for two or three years when he first came on, We didn't kick a single person out of the school for adultery. And you know why? Because Wayne, when he first saw the first signs of these things, he would go and talk to the person. He wouldn't sit there and talk about them. He would go deal with this. And Wayne, when he sees a person beginning to start slipping and doing some things, I mean, he'll deal with it. And as a result, we have had things work a lot better because he just doesn't let things go until you've crossed the line and now you're in big trouble. He'll see you headed towards that line and Wayne will get in your face. And it's really good. It's really good. It's a good thing. 
And so the Scripture is saying when it first happens, when somebody offends you, go to your brother and try and reconcile. Don't talk about them. Don't mull this thing over in your mind. I don't know if any of you are like this, but you know when somebody offends me and people offend me, you know what my tendency is? Is I'll sit there and focus on that thing and I'll think about it and I'll wonder about why they did this and I'll think of what I'm going to say to them and I'll do all of these things. And you know what? That is useless. Useless. I guess it is useful for the devil, but it is useless in God's kingdom. But I tell you what, it is bad. It is bad. And I've just made a decision. And when I find myself doing that, I'll start speaking in tongues. I'll make myself focus on something else. I am not going to anticipate problems and deal with these things. I'm not going to worry about stuff when it might potentially be nothing. I'm going to go talk to the person and seek to reconcile this thing. I am not going to let it fester and go on and on and on. That's what Jesus said. If your brother has offended you, follow his instructions here. If you've been offended by somebody, go talk to them. And if it's not big enough to go talk to them, then it's not big enough for you to think about. Forget it. If you don't like the confrontation and you say, oh, I'm not going to do that. It's not that big of a deal. Well, then it's not big enough deal for you to think about and get offended over Man, that is great. You know, if we just followed this, this would make the world a much nicer place if we didn't even go to step two or step three. This is wonderful. Would to God that all of us would operate this way. And let me also say this. This is kind of a companion thing. If somebody is coming to you with their offense and discussing things and saying, did you see what this person has done? Have you heard about what they did to me and all of these kind of things? You know the reason that they come and dump all of their rubbish, their trash in you? It's because you look like a trash can. It's because you're receptive. You know, if, if not only you would do this when somebody offends you, you go talk to them. But if all of us were just to say, when somebody comes and starts saying, did you hear what this person says, have you talked to them? Oh no, I hadn't talked to them. Well then, here, let's go talk to them. Or you go talk to them first and then come to them. If every one of us would operate this way, you know what? You could help police this situation and stop a lot of problems. You shouldn't be talking about somebody if the person talking to you hadn't already talked to that person. If they haven't taken step one, then you refuse to be a part of step two. I'm preaching better than you're listening. That is good preaching. This would change our world. It would change the body of Christ. It would change your world if you would follow these guidelines. Don't talk about somebody until you've talked to them. And don't allow somebody to talk about somebody until they've talked to them. And you can do it in love, recognizing that every one of us have made mistakes and every one of us have gossiped and criticized. And you don't have to say... You're of the devil. How dare you? Have you talked to them yet? No, just say, you know, have you talked to them yet? And if they've heard this message, they'll immediately know, oops, I'm out of order. And you know what? You can just say, you know, go talk to them and see if you can reconcile them. And then we'll talk. You can be polite about it. You don't have to be mean. But you know what? Uh, you need to put your trash can lid on and people will quit bringing their trash to you. When I pastored this little church in Pritchett, Colorado... 
Uh, I had people that hated me and started, I had people threaten to kill me. I had, I was kidnapped during that period of time. I had all of these things happen. And you know what? There were some bad things going on and there was a lot of gossip going on. And uh, I just got up one Sunday and taught along these lines about how to reconcile problems. And I said, if people are always dumping their trash in you, it's because you got your lid open. I said, just put your trash can lid on like this. And I started, and I taught for a while, walking around and said, if you'll keep your lid on like this, people can't put their trash on the inside of you. And I preached like that. And a friend of mine who delivered propane to the people way out in the deal, he was out delivering propane the next day. And these people had been at church the previous day and they started in ragging on me and talking to me. And he says, have you talked to Andrew about this? And they said, no. And he just went like this and walked (laughs) off. And they knew exactly what he was talking about. You know what? That'd be neat if all of us just say, have you talked to them yet? And you just do like this and walk off. Amen. People will get the message. So that's the first step. You go and talk to them for the purpose of trying to reconcile. And in the vast majority of cases, this would solve. And you could walk in love if we would follow these instructions. Then the second step, it says in verse 16, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. What this is talking about is now, don't go get some of your people who are in your corner and now three of you are going to go and blast this guy and try and let him know that he's wrong. That's not what this is talking about. This is basically talking about what we would call arbitration in the secular world. In other words, the truth is, when most of us get into contention and argument, did you know you don't really listen to the other person? I'm sure everybody can relate to this, that you've been in an argument, and here you are discussing something, and the truth is, you never heard a word they said. While they were talking, you were thinking of your next point. You were (laughs) coming up with the next way, and the truth is, most of us don't listen to the other person. We don't go honestly wanting to reconcile. We go venting, which is not good. That's not the way to reconcile, and so we become imprisoned in our own opinion, in our own judgments. We prejudge the thing. We've thought about it in our mind, and they're guilty, and there is no acquittal, and so we aren't really even giving them a fair chance. What this is talking about, step two, is if you guys can't work it out between the two of you, then bring one or two other people in who have an unbiased opinion on this thing. And the point of it is, is to get somebody who isn't biased, who isn't prejudiced, who can look at this from a third-person standpoint and can arbitrate the situation and bring a fresh perspective into it. You know, I've done this with a number of cases. I remember one guy, I won't mention their names because most of you would know them, but they had problems with another minister and they asked me to come in and Jamie and I went in and listened to both sides. And did you know it was, it was a series of misunderstandings. It was both people. It wasn't just one And so I sat there with a fresh perspective because I love both of them and I was able to share these things. And and, uh, anyway, we made a lot of progress. The situation wasn't totally positively resolved, but it was a million times better because here was a third person who came in with a different perspective that wasn't trying to defend either one. I loved both of them and I was able to bring a measure of reconciliation to that thing and it is it improved. That's what this is talking about. This isn't so that you go get two people who are absolutely as prejudiced and biased in the situation as you are and you bring them into it because you're going to punish this person and show them now that it's not just you. Here's other people that agree. That's not the logic. 
The logic is bring it before somebody else and get a fresh perspective, somebody who isn't feeling the emotional hurt and submit it to them and get their opinion. This is after you've already talked to the individual and tried to reconcile yourself. You know what? Most people never do these first two steps. And that's the reason that things get out of control and that we have such serious problems is because we aren't quick to deal with stuff. I'm telling you, this isn't suggestions. These are commands by Jesus. He's saying, if your brother has wronged you, here's the way to deal with it. And the reason we're having broken relationships is because of this. You know, if we would practice this in churches, it's uh, my opinion. I'm not a pastor, but I deal with pastors a lot. And did you know there is a huge, huge, huge turnover in churches? It's rare as hen's teeth to find people that will stay there for the entire period of that church. Most people just cannot maintain relationships long term. And you know why? Because eventually, it doesn't matter how much you love those people or how much they love you, something is going to happen. You are a human being. You aren't God. You're going to fail. And you're going to offend the other person. And they're going to offend you. And if you don't know how to reconcile and deal with things, then you know what? Most people just never get over it. They just change and go get a new church and get a new set of friends because they can't deal with offenses. I guarantee you it's, in, it's inevitable that offenses will come. Jesus said that. You cannot prevent offenses. As long as you're dealing with frail, imperfect human beings, good people are going to offend you and you are going to offend them. And uh, you have to know how to reconcile. This is the method. If we would follow this, I tell you, things would work infinitely better than what they're working. The reason for these problems is because we don't follow this. Amen or oh me. So here's the third step in verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Here's four steps. First step, go to the person and try and reconcile. If he won't reconcile, then take one or two more for the purpose of arbitration. If that doesn't work, then bring him before the church and let the church deal with this. The fourth step is, if he doesn't respond to the church, then let him be unto you as a heathen man. And you know what? I'm not going to have time tonight to explain this. I'm going to probably have to go into this tomorrow morning because I don't want to cut it short. This is important, what the Lord is saying here. And I, but I will say this. This is uh, the same thing that is spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 about the man who committed incest. And Paul told them that they had to deal with this. And he said, turn this man over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh. This is the same thing. It's just different terminology. But this is talking about turning a person over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh. That's the fourth step. And I'll cover that tomorrow morning more in detail and explain that. But let me say this, that the instruction right here, these first two steps are things that every one of us can and should implement anytime there's... uh, problems, especially between a brother. But even if it's not a brother or sister in the Lord with anybody, you ought to follow these first two steps. These next two steps should be followed as much as they can, but I'll just be candid with you that you know what? You can't do these things today the way that they are explained in Scripture. And the reason we can't is because the body of Christ won't accept this responsibility to arbitrate and to deal with this. 
The body of Christ today will not do this. Now, there may be some individuals who will, and praise God, if they do, that's good. That's the way it's supposed to be. But as a whole, the body of Christ, the church, does not accept and will not accept this kind of responsibility. They will not step in between people and help in this situation. And so, this really isn't a viable option to many people. And that's a shame. We're missing out on some wonderful things that the Lord intended. The church is supposed to take uh, responsibility, but the church has retreated to the point that basically it's all about heaven. They preach salvation so that you can get born again and not go to hell, and they don't get involved in dealing with things. If you have a psychological problem, well, why don't you go see a psychiatrist? If you have a financial problem, why don't you go to social services and see if they'll help you? If you got a physical problem, have you been to the doctor yet? Man, the Lord didn't intend that. The Lord established the church as His method here on the earth to deal with everything. And I guarantee you, people should be bringing the sick to us to get healed. People should be coming to us for instruction on how to prosper. People should be coming to us with their relational problems, and we should be dealing with them. But it's not that way in most churches. They won't accept this responsibility. And so this really does limit how you can implement these last two things. But nonetheless, the principles work. You may have to modify them and make some adaptations because the church as a whole doesn't function this way today, but the principles are still here. And so these first two, you go to the person and try and reconcile, then you take uh, other people trying to be a moderator, an arbitrator, and deal with this thing. And then if that doesn't work, what you do is you bring them before the body. And um, you know what? In the first century church where this was written and then the way it was implemented, like over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 with this man who committed incest, in those days the church was just radically different than it is today. I mean the church, the people who were Christians were totally outcast in their society. They were being tortured, put to death. And so their faith, you didn't have any of the nominal Christians that we have today, people who think it's fashionable to be Christians, people who grew up in the church and were Christians because their parents were Christians. You only had people who were committed to God, and I mean willing to put their life on the line. And these people were absolutely stark, raving, mad fanatics who were given over to God 100%. And God and their brothers and sisters were their entire life. And so there was a level of commitment among those Christians to the Lord that we don't see in our churches today. Our churches are not even a faint reflection of what the first century church was. Plus, they didn't have multiple churches. There was only one church in one place. And like the church of Ephesus, you know, they estimate that there was anywhere between 50,000 and 100,000 members in the church in Ephesus within the first century. But they didn't have a central meeting place. They met in homes. And so there could have been as many as a thousand different home groups. They didn't all meet in the same place, but they all considered themselves to be one body. And they were under one leadership. Timothy was the first bishop of the church at Ephesus. And they were all under that leadership. So therefore, if somebody was brought to the church and there was some kind of a ruling put down and this person had to abide by it, they couldn't just get mad and quit that church and go across the street and join another one and still get the benefits of having the body of Christ. When the body of Christ executed judgment, it was severe because, man, they were cut off 
from all fellowship of all believers because the church was in unity. Today we see it in total disunity. And so even if a church, let's say that Greg Moore here, Lawson Purdue, or some of these pastors, Dan and Nancy Thompson, some of the others were to function in their church this way and do what the scripture says, it's not going to have the same impact that it had in the first century because those people could go someplace else and join and most people won't even question why you came there. They're just glad to get a warm body And they're going to welcome you into their fellowship and start giving you the benefits of Christian fellowship and encouragement. And it's not going to have the desired effect because the body of Christ is so fragmented and not operating in unity. So this begins to break down because the church is so messed up today compared to what God intended it to be. But there's still principles here about how to deal with things beyond these first two steps. And I'll get into that tomorrow morning. The heart can't absorb more than the seat can endure. I don't ever finish, I just quit. And then we start again the next time. So in the morning, we'll continue to talk about this. But you know, even though what I've said tonight is really simple, and I know some of you think, well, boy, this is just simple. I thought we were going to get something profound. This is profound. And most people don't operate this way. And I tell you, if we were to just follow these first two steps that I'm talking about tonight, and if you were to... I mean consistently, conscientiously deal this way, I guarantee you the vast majority, I believe ninety, more than 90% of all strife and division and problems and stuff like this, especially among believers, it would just evaporate. It would be gone. We aren't following the directions of the Lord. And so we don't deal with something when it's small, when it's easy to deal with. We let the thing fester and we go talk about it and get other people to start cursing this person and speaking negative of the situation. And we just amplify it and allow this cancer to grow until the point that part of your body is already destroyed by it. And then you try and go and get the remedy. That's not the way to do it. You need to deal with it quickly. You need to deal with it. And this is exactly why the Lord said these things. If somebody's offended you, don't talk about them to anybody else. Go directly to them. And you know what? If we had just follow that one thing, man, it'd solve so many problems. But see, this isn't the way most people live. Most people, this is just like, what planet have you come from? This is not the way most people operate. I mean, this is just, this is totally outside of the norm for most people. And there's probably some of you sitting right here that even though you've read these scriptures, you've probably never thought about the things that I've been saying here. It really hasn't dawned on you. It hasn't clicked. And you haven't even thought a thing about it. It's just normal. It's the way everybody does. You, you go home after church and have roast pastor for dinner. And you just discuss it, what you liked and what you didn't like. And you sit there and among your family just roast him and talk about everything and discuss it and you judge him and you come to a conclusion and you've got it all figured out and you didn't even give the guy a chance to defend himself. Maybe you totally misunderstood him. I just had somebody this last week write me a letter. I think I mentioned this already and he totally misunderstood something I said and I can understand how a person could misunderstand. I say a lot of things and I'm real confrontive and you know what? Somebody could just take offense and not listen to the rest of it. But I can guarantee you what he is thinking I meant isn't what I meant because it's not what I believe. He misunderstood. And uh, the guy's upset now and stuff. And this guy did at least come to me and ask for 
uh, an opinion, for an answer on this thing. But you know, most people, they just listen to something and they go off and they've judged it and they're, they're absolutely sure of everything and they don't even give you a chance to ask, is this what you meant? And you know what? Because of that, offense is taken, things are said, relationships are broken, things happen that should never happen if we just follow these really simple instructions. You know, it's really not that hard to get along with people. Now, again, there's some people that just aren't going to get along, but I'm saying that you can, you can make friends and you can learn how to get along with people, even though there's a lot of people that hate me because of what I teach. You know what? I really do consider myself, I can get along with most people. I can work with people. And I can get people, I can change their opinion. And most people I can get along with, even people that don't like me at first, I can win them over because of these little simple principles. And you know what? It shouldn't be as hard as it is for some of us to have friends. To have friends, a man must show himself friendly. The reason some of you don't have friends is because you aren't friendly. Amen? So I'm teaching you how to be friendly. I'm talking about how to walk in love. And if you'll do these things, it'll solve a lot of problems. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we just thank you for the Word. Thank you for these instructions. And Father, I pray tonight that the things that we've talked about, I pray that people will humble themselves and admit that, Father, we've been doing things wrong. That instead of blaming everybody else and just having a totally negative outlook on life that you can't maintain relationships, that, Father, we will recognize that we haven't been working the system. We haven't been doing what you told us to do. And Father, I pray that if there's people in here who, who have been speaking about people and doing things that they shouldn't do, if they've been quick to judge, if they haven't humbled themselves, if they haven't gone to the person, and Father, I pray that you just cause people in their heart right now to repent of this and make a commitment that, praise God, they're going to start following these guidelines. Father, I pray that there's people here tonight that would also make the commitment that they aren't going to be the trash can for other people's uh, vicious things, thoughts and actions. That, Father, they will sit there and remind them, have you gone to this person first? And that they won't allow those things to fester and grow and they won't be a part of this problem. Father, I just thank you that people tonight are changing our attitudes, that we're going to follow these guidelines. And Father, we thank you in advance that this is going to help solve problems. And Father, we thank you for it. I believe that there's people's hearts that are changing and that this is going to make a difference. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And you know, this is a word of knowledge. I'm going to explain this to you because some of you aren't going to believe this is a word of knowledge. But the Lord is saying there's some of you that get offended at your mate. And instead of going to them and talking it out, you just turn on the cold shoulder and start ignoring them. I mean, when you walk into the room, they can feel icicles. And then they say, what's wrong? And you say, nothing. Anybody ever had that happen? Anybody ever done that? And then you're mad at them because they should know what's wrong. They're supposed to be able to read your mind. You know what? You're violating what the Scripture says. If your mate has offended you, 
go and tell them. Not for the purpose of dumping on them, but so that you can say, you know, this is how I feel. Am I misunderstanding? Do you really hate me the way that I think you do? Why did you treat me this way? And give them a chance to explain. Do it for the purpose of reconciliation. And you know, if you would approach things that way instead of just getting offended and then turning the cold shoulder and getting mad because they can't read your mind, I guarantee you that would solve a lot of problems in marriage. These same things will work in marriage. It'll work in relationships. It doesn't matter what kind of relationship it is. So I believe that's a word from the Lord to some of you that hadn't made that connection yet. That you know what? You need to do this in your marriage. You need to do it with your kids. You need to do it in all kinds of relationships. It'll save you a lot of trouble. Amen? Praise God. Again tonight, let me just ask this. If there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus personally...